feelings. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, contemporary English. Jeremiah says, I know, Lord, we humans are not in control of our own lives. The sooner that all of us realize, recognize, and acknowledge that fact, the better off our lives will be. Did you know that? How many of you had the opportunity to be a part of the Lordship series that we just finished up last week? Four weeks where I would say we drilled down, didn't we? We drilled down on the bedrock about what Lordship is. We learned, basically, that if Jesus Christ isn't Lord of all, then He isn't Lord at all. We learned that a lot of people who believe that they are on their way to heaven may or may not be because just because you prayed a prayer that you did not surrender yourself to God, then that will not save you. But Lordship requires that He not just be your Savior, but that He become the Master, the Lord of your life. And stewardship says that you are simply... Uh, been, have you have simply been entrusted with another person's property to take care of that. And that can be your finances, sure. But more than that, it is your life. The scripture says we've been bought with a price. Virtues by the blood of Jesus, we do not belong to ourselves. Correct stewardship and lordship teaches us that we belong to Him, our lives, and everything our life entails, and everything that passes through our hands that He allows us to make decisions about. We are not making decisions about our things, we're making decisions about His things. The cars, the land, the houses, everything belongs to Him. It's been a life-changing month for me. I don't know if it has for you or not. I hope it has. But when I had to confront myself with the challenge of submitting 100% of everything that I am, will be, or have to God, that's a very sobering thought. For four weeks, I had to just be challenged with that over and over and over. Everything that He has loaned to me to do His work, he also allows me to use a portion of that to provide for my family. That's the correct way to look at stewardship. And that's humbling. So where do we go from here? Well, I've been reading the book of Jeremiah in conjunction with, uh, over the last month, in conjunction with our studies and where we were going. I was also in Jeremiah and I was reading there and studying Jeremiah. You know, I don't know if you've ever sat down and just read the book and studied the book. But Jeremiah was under severe pressure, wasn't he? He finally reached a place, of a familiar portion that you're familiar with, or that, that's more familiar to most, where that he made a statement. He said, I basically, in my, in my translation, he said, I wanted to be quiet. I didn't want to say nothing, but the word was a fire inside me, inside my bones, and, and I could not but help speak what God, what he was saying there was, it wasn't this person that got up in a testimony service years ago, and you know, at a church service that you were at, and said, I've just got to say something. It wasn't that. This was an individual who was being, who was being persecuted.
persecuted to the point of perhaps losing his life if he didn't get quiet. But he said, I can't be quiet. No matter what it costs me, I've got to tell these people what God has told me to tell them. And in the midst of that, there was another prophet named Uriah that lived about the same time as Jeremiah. And Jeremiah even, even recalls what happened to Uriah because it's on his mind. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about recalling somewhere around about the 23rd, 24th, 25th chapter, somewhere in there. He's talking about this other prophet who, who came and tried to do the same thing that Jeremiah is doing here in Jerusalem. And the people killed him. This was a contemporary of Jeremiah. They killed him and they threw him in a common grave. Just discarded him. Disregarded him. Disrespected his life and his body. Jeremiah knows this. And yet he says, How I long to be quiet. I don't want to say what I gotta say. But I still gotta say it. The, the word that God gave Jeremiah was so sobering and, and, and so alarming that God told Jeremiah, I want you to hear this. God told Jeremiah, he said, don't get married and don't have children. Why? Because he said things are going to get so bad that your own wife and your children will suffer as a result of what's going to happen to these people, and they would die. Don't have a wife and children, he said, because I don't want you to suffer that kind of grief. That's a pretty serious message, isn't it? Day after day, Jeremiah goes to the gates of the city where everybody's coming in and out. He stands at the gate and tries to get someone's attention and tell them, here is what the Lord has said. If you would listen to him, if you would obey him, if you would follow his command, then he would turn away from the anger that he has for us and the fury he's about to unleash. And he would once again bless us and our fields would produce and we would be protected. But if we don't, he said, if we don't, then Babylon is coming and other enemies are coming and they're going to surround us and they're going to tear up our city. They're going to burn down our temple. They're going to kill our people. And only the ones of us who live are still going to suffer more, maybe even the worst, because we will be taken into captivity and be there for 70 years. This is when he stood at the gate and preached every day. You think he was popular? You think he had a TV show? You think he sold a lot of books? You think he was on Oprah? Do you think that people wanted to hear him? Do you think he was a popular celebrity? And that people went around with their notepads taking notes and made all the news? They wanted to silence this guy. They gathered together and they got the leaders together. They said, let's arrest him. Let's put him in a pit. Let's kill him. Let's do something. They were about to kill him. They had arrested him. They were about to kill him. But a few important people spoke up on his behalf and said, something like this happened back in King Hezekiah's reign. And there was a prophet that stepped up. And if he hadn't, we'd have been destroyed. Maybe we ought not kill this guy. And so they spared his life. Jeremiah is under severe pressure. And stress. He understood lordship. He understood the surrender of his life and his health and his wealth and his future to God fully. And I, I know, I believe, I know that 
His reward for that vastly outweighed his persecution and continues to right now. And he's so glad that he was obedient to his call, but it cost him pretty much everything here on this earth. There seems to be a theme that, that was given to him that he continued to have to preach over and over and over again because it was the base root of all that was going on. It was the reason for the message. It was the reason that God kept trying to speak. God had kept sending prophets and the people kept killing the prophets. God kept trying to send his word by every means it was necessary and possible and they would refuse it. But there was a theme that ran through this over and over and over historically for years and years and years. And that theme was the one we're going to talk about today. It was the theme of idolatry. People had allowed themselves to buy into the customs and the culture and the religions of their neighbors. And this had infuriated God. Because they had been told that they were to worship Him alone and no other. And I wondered about that. I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about it. Because some people think, you know, here's God and He's jealous and He's got this huge ego. And you think to yourself, does God have such a huge ego that He has to have our worship or He just can't stand it? Is it that God is just so jealous and He's just so, uh, so attention hungry? Is our God so attention hungry that if he doesn't have our worship, it just drives him nuts? Is his ego so big that he has to have this worship in order to feel good about himself? No. Here's why God demands our worship of him and him alone. Because God knew that there are no other gods in existence. And that the worship of anything or anyone other than him was really worship of the devil. And that is what he could not abide. And Jeremiah had to tell the leaders and the rulers and the regular folks, he had to, he had to tell them this. It's, it's terminology that the teacher tells you in school, don't say it, it's a bad word, it's a mean word. It's a politically incorrect word. It's the word that Jeremiah had to use over and over and over. Translates from the way God spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah told him to tell the people that they were stupid. You wash your kids' mouths out with soap. Send them to the room for calling somebody stupid. That's not a nice word. Jeremiah spent every day of his ministry at one point standing in the gates yelling, Y'all are stupid! How do you think he was received? And that's the way he was received. And our message today may not be received any better than his. I guess we'll find out. But because in order to go where God is leading us, we have to keep going forward and we can't go back. Lordship pushed us out of the comfort zone and today is going to push us even further. Augustine made a statement many, many years ago. He said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. Did you hear that? Let's say it again. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. Jeremiah 10.6 says, Our Lord, great and powerful, you alone are God, you are king of the nation, everyone should worship you, no human anywhere on earth is wiser than you. So there you have it, it's the truth boiled down, and that's the truth. Right here in a nutshell, God is God alone. Everyone 
must worship Him, and we are in no place to do otherwise. No human being is in any other place to do otherwise than to worship the Creator, because that's the reason why we're on this planet. And people that get angry at statements like that are people that have not made Him Lord and are not willing to submit 100% of their life to God. The next few minutes I want to spend explaining this passage. I want to explain three things about it. First of all, I'm going to, I want, I'm going to give you God's opinion of idols. Then I'm going to give you God's opinion of those who make and serve idols. And then I'm going to give you God's opinion of Himself. You ready? Get your pen. Flip over your bulletin. Write this down. First of all, let's talk about God's opinion of idols. Jeremiah 10 and 8. Jeremiah says, as he speaks for God, Idols are worthless, and anyone who worships them is a fool. Idols are made by humans. Carver shapes the wood, a metal worker hammers out the covering of gold or silver, and then the idol is dressed in blue and purple clothes. In verse 15, Idols are merely a joke. When the time is right, they'll be destroyed. So here's what he's saying in those three verses. This is God's opinion of idols. They're worthless. They're fallible because they're made by people. And they're altogether a joke. That's God's opinion of any idol that we might have in our life. Because an idol is a non-living, powerless, and perishable inanimate object. Verse 5 said, an idol is no better than a scarecrow. Can you imagine a scarecrow out in your field that you would go out once or twice a day and get down on your knees, bow and face it, pray to it, worship it? People all over the world do something just like that. may not be a scarecrow, but you know what? It really is. It's as valuable as the straw and the old raggedy shirt and the old hat that you've stretched over. That's how valuable that idol is. It can't speak, he said in five. It has to be carried. You worship a God that has to be carried. Because it can't walk. Why worship an idol that can't help you or harm you? And then God said that anybody that chooses to do so in his own words, in his own words, this translation, he calls them a fool. God's word translation calls them complete idiots. That's how it translates. Modern King James says they are animal-like. So they're worthless, not the people, but the idol are worthless and fallible, and they are altogether a joke. They deserve only contempt and ridicule, is what the commentator said. I won't spend a lot of time there because I don't think I need to. I think you get the picture, but let me illustrate the story of a Japanese ruler who lived back in the 1500s, the late 1500s. He was a warlord and he ruled over Japan. He commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine in Kyoto. This particular Buddha took 50,000 men five years to build. That's quite an item. Are you ready for this? 50,000 men, five years to build, 
they had scarcely finished the work, the earthquake of 1596 came, brought the roof down, crashed in on top of the statue, knocked it over, and busted. In a rage, this Japanese warlord shot an arrow at the fallen Colossus and made this statement. I put you here at great expense, and you can't even look after your own temple. And that illustrates God's opinion of idols. He goes on. God's opinion of those who make and serve idols doesn't get much better. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 14. People who make idols are so stupid. That's what I'm not saying this. is what I'm reading. They'll be disappointed because their false gods are not alive. Verse 21. But I told them our leaders were stupid failures. Because they refused to listen to the Lord. And because of that we've been scattered like sheep. Now I write in my notes what makes them so stupid. Let's keep going. Look at Jeremiah. We're dancing all around and it all comes together. Back in verse 2. Don't follow the customs of those nations who become frightened when they see something strange happen in the sky. Their religion is worthless. They chop down a tree, carve the wood into an idol, cover it with silver and gold, nail it down so it won't fall over. Verse 9. Made by humans, a carver shaped from wood. Hammers out the covering of gold or silver. Then they dress it in blue and purple clothes. Are you starting to see how foolish this appears to God? I really want to illustrate this point right now. I want you to see in your minds, I didn't want to make a mess up here. It would have been even more, I could have made this more visible. But I didn't want to make a big mess, but I figured I could paint this picture. Picture the fact that I have a huge log up here on the platform. I'm going to take a chainsaw, and I'm going to cut that log in half. One side of that, I'm going to cut it up into firewood, and we're going to haul it over here and stack it up and use it to burn this winter when it gets real cold. The other one, though, we're going to take it, and we're going to carve it, and we're going to sand it, and we're going to paint it, and we're going to dress it, and we're going to put something really nice on it. We're going to nail it down and stand it up, and then we're going to worship it. The same piece of wood that you are burning in your fireplace, someone is kneeling down to worship. And when God sees that, what does he say? Man, they're stupid. How do I know he says it? Because he said it over and over and over. The translation of the word is, how stupid are these people that take ceramic or metal or wood or concrete, or anything that they want to make more important than God, and begin to worship it. How foolish can that be? That a piece of wood that was created by God can be worthy of your worship in place of God. When the truth of the matter is that we could be worshiping the God that created the tree instead of the tree. And the guy that created the tree could actually change our life for the good. He can actually touch us and bless us, protect us, promote us, provide for us, work for us. But the tree can't. Now you apply that to anything that's on this planet. 
And if you are making that more important than God, then God views that, and God views you. Sorry to say it, folks, but the Bible says you're stupid. You're just stupid. I preached the message one time when I was a youth pastor. The whole message was telling the youth, and I'm not trying to, again, it wasn't y'all, so you don't have to be offended. But I got up one night and I said, here's the bottom line about us all, folks. I said, I said, I'll call my youth group. I was never politically correct. I said, all of y'all are stupid. I love you, but you're stupid. And I said, the bottom line is you won't even know until you're in your mid-twenties or early-thirties how stupid you are. I know how stupid you are. Because at the time, I wouldn't, you know, I was like, I know how stupid you are, but I don't even know how stupid I am yet. Because I'm stupid too, and I'm realizing the older I get how stupid I am. But y'all don't even know. Here's how stupid you are. You don't even know you're stupid. At least I know I'm stupid. Stupid. It's not a fun thing, is it? But any of us who have chosen to serve an idol, you say, well, that leaves me out because I don't have no Buddha statue in my car and I don't have, well, we're going to take something down the road a little ways. It might not just be a law Whatever you value above God that's been created by God would be stupid to be your idol. When you could have been worshiping and having a personal living relationship with the creator of all those things. And lastly, God's opinion of himself as revealed to Jeremiah. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6. Our Lord, great and powerful, you alone are God. Verse 7, you're the king of the nations. Everyone should worship you. No human anywhere on earth is wiser than you. Chapter 10, verse 10, you, Lord, are the only true and living God. You rule for all time. When you're angry, the earth shakes and the nations are destroyed. Verse 11, you told me to say that idols did not create the heavens and the earth, and that you, the Lord, will destroy every idol. With your wisdom and power, you created the earth and spread out the heavens. The waters in the heaven roar at your command. You make clouds appear. You send the winds from your storehouse. Have you thought about where God stores the wind? We can't see the wind, yet God keeps the wind in the storehouse. How cool is God? And you make lightning flash in the rain. Verse 16. But you, God, you, Israel's God, created all things, and you chose Israel to be your very own. Your name is the Lord All-Powerful. Now, that is the only one who must be the object of our worship. There can't be any other. I, I, I was reading something from a book called The Wounded Healer. Henry Newman. He, he, in this, he's, he's, tell, he's telling a tale, an old, ancient tale, ancient India. The tale is about four brothers, four Brothers who are royalty. And these brothers each decided to master a special ability. So time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they learned. And the first one began to speak and he said, I've mastered a science no one else on this planet has ever mastered. He said, I can take just a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes on it. And the second one said, you know what? 
I know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there's flesh on them. The third one said, I'm able to create limbs and bones if I have the flesh and the skin and the hair. And the fourth one said, and I know how to give life to that creature once the form is complete. They said, well, let's see. So they go out into the forest and they find a bone that just happens to be the bone of a lion. One of them picked up the bone, and to the bone he added flesh, and the second one grew hair and hide, and the third one completed it with the matching limbs, and then the fourth one gave life to the lion. And as soon as he gave life to the lion, the lion shook its mane. The ferocious beast hopped up and jumped on its creators, killed all of them, and then vanished intently into the jungle. Point of the story. We all have the capacity to create what can devour us. Goals and dreams can consume us. Possessions and property can turn and destroy us. Unless we seek God's kingdom and His righteousness and we allow Him to breathe into what we make of life. And so that brings me to another place. Jeremiah 10, 24, where Jeremiah now... He's, this is all beginning to unravel. He's watching this. He's listening to all of this. He's walking down this road. He's learning this lesson of idolatry. And he realizes that even though, even though he may not be in the midst of it with all of them, yet he himself still has places that need correction. And, and he comes to a place where he's ready to repent. And he says in verse 24, Correct me as I deserve, but not in your anger or I will be dead. I want to get right. I want to stop this foolishness, but correct me in a gentle way or else I won't even live through this. God, in your mercy and your patience, correct me. That's got to be my prayer. I thought a lot about this this week. I've thought about idols lots of times. I preached about idolatry lots of times, but it wasn't until this week that I felt like the Lord revealed something to me about idolatry that I had never seen before. And perhaps you're way ahead of me and you thought about it this way for a long time. If so, would you just abide me in your patience for a minute while I explain what the Lord showed me about idolatry? The reason that people turn to idols is not because they are so stupid that they think a hunk of wood can save them. They don't bow down to shrines and idols and statues because they think that there is power in those things. I don't believe that's why they do it. I believe the reason become that people become idol worshippers is because of their need to be in control. We're only secure when we're in control. And if we make our own idol, it becomes tangible. You still with me? <coughs> something that you can see and feel and hold tightly onto. Something that you can control. Because with God, you can't see Him. And you can't hold on to Him. And you can't control Him. And you can't make Him do what you want Him to do. And He may or may not answer your 
your prayer the way you want it to be answered. But I need to be able to force God's hand in my favor. But I can't. And so I create things like relationships and securities and people and things that I can control. I feel like I have some power again if I'm in control. I'm holding on to my idol. I'm holding on to this thing. It might be an inanimate object. It might be a family member. It might be a bank account. It might be a special car. It might not be an idol like, like we picture. It could be anything that we can control. We so we so badly and desperately, in all of our fear, need to control something. I need to control something in my life. I don't want my family to get sick, so I, I need to control that. So I need. I wish I could get God to answer my prayers the way I don't want Him answered. But since I can't make God, then what can I make? So I begin to find things that I can control because then I begin to have a false security. I'm actually in charge of something. I'm running somebody's life. Somebody say amen. I'm running somebody's job. I'm running somebody's money. So I feel like I'm in control. But you can't be in control. As soon as you do that, you've created an idol. And now you look just as foolish to God as the one who made one out of wood or marble or ceramic because you started to worship something that you can't worship. It can't be real. It is not real. It's not alive. we got to understand something. We cannot control or possess God. He controls and possesses us. That's just the way it is, and that's why we have to live in faith. And living in faith is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do because you can't control nothing when He's in charge. Lordship takes us one place. Getting rid of our idols just caused us to fall on off the ledge. I can't control anything. The money you think you're controlling, you're not controlling. The people you think you're controlling, you're not controlling. <coughs> you belong. You're property. You exist to worship. It's a tough lesson, guys. It has to be this way. Otherwise, we have no God. Just the things that we're holding on to and controlling. Remember what Lordship Law number one? If he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Whatever it is that you're making an idol, that's your God. J. McMath said, today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf. Good words. He had three basic biblical rules that he's applied to people. You know, and some of y'all are going to say, oh yeah, I heard that in the Bob Dylan song. He said, everybody wants to serve somebody. It might be the devil. He can't even sing. He made a lot of money. It might be the devil. It might be the woman. You're going to have to serve somebody, right? You remember the song? How many of y'all remember the song? How many of y'all sinners in here remember the song? How many self-righteous folks remember the song, but you're not ready It may be the devil. It may be the woman. You're going to have to serve somebody. And these are those three biblical basic laws that go like this. Every person is serving God or gods in their life. That's rule number one. Everybody is. 
Number two, every person is transformed into the image of his or her God. Number three, mankind then creates and forms a structure of society in his own image. Now, that process having been completed, you see where God would be infuriated? If you miss step one, look how far off you are by step three. And that's what God kept trying to tell the people of Jerusalem. And that's what God tries to tell us today, not just the lost, but the saved. He continues to try to warn us today. You're going to have gods, it better be me. Because if you have anything else to be your God, you're going to start looking like it and acting like it. At some point, you're going to create a form of society in its image and not mine. And that infuriates God. Because he knows at that point, you're being misled by his heart enemy. And you're being led down a road of destruction. That's why God demands your worship, not for his ego, but for your safety. You've got to worship God so you can receive his protection and his provision and his promotion. You can't get out from under that umbrella. If you get out from under that umbrella, you're on your own. And if you're on your own, you don't have much because everything that you have, God says, is stupid. And if you're trusting him, he says you're stupid. Listen to this statement. That for which I would give anything and accept nothing in exchange is the most important thing in my life. And whatever that is, that's my God. Quiet, because I want you to think for a minute. I got down on my knees this morning in my office and I started running through my mind. Lord, what are the things that I would give anything for and expect nothing in return? I don't do that. I don't do that with money. I'm, I'm the kind of person, if I spend money, I expect something in return. So I know that's not my God. Right? I don't do that with clothes. I don't do that with material things. I, if, I, if I, you know, it don't mean anything. And then I had to really, I, when I really broke it down, what hit me in my heart was the Holy Spirit says, yes, I am that. But your family is too. They're the only, they're the, my family, my family is the only other thing that I would give everything for and not want anything back in return. And if I'm not careful, I would make them more important than God. And if I did... God would say, I'm, I'm thankful that you love your family. You should, but you're stupid. Because you have just made something more important than me. Though we don't face a, a pantheon of false gods like the Israelites do, we face pressures from a pantheon of false values like materialism and love of leisure and sensuality and worship of self and security and a lot of other things. So I have to ask myself the question, what's the object of my affection? What's the object of my efforts? Where does my attention go? Where does the majority of my time go? Where do I spend the greatest amount of my resources? Who, what, where are my idols? Idols are anything that stand in the way of God being Lord over all. And so, 
Now that we come to that, we, we, we find ourselves back where we started. Here we are, back to where Jeremiah had the wisdom to end up. No matter the cost of the sacrifice, God had to be his chosen personal God. And I go back to where we started in verse 23. I know, Lord, that we humans are not in control of our own lives. He finally came to that place. I know that we're not, and he's talking about idols, isn't he? I know that we are not in control of our own life, but you are in control of our lives. And that's it. That's, that's it. That's our conclusion. We, we can have no idols because they'll destroy our place with God. In regards to how hard it might be to give those things up, we have to realize and accept we are not in control. Not even of our own lives. Certainly nothing else. How difficult a message. How different from the simple, basic, idle message of don't worship your job over your church. Don't worship your car over Right? This takes it to a whole new level. Tag that on to four weeks of lordship. You find yourself at a very uncomfortable place. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your word. That you love us enough to confront us. Lord, you don't confront us because you think we're stupid. You don't confront us because you're angry with us. You confront us out of love because you want what's best. Oh God, you tell us to serve you only and to follow your commands, not so that you can control our life. It's so, God, that we would be protected and provided for and promoted. It's so you can bless us, God. You're doing it for our own good. And sometimes we get so angry. We're like small little children that don't get our way. And so we become very angry. God, in your patience, you love us anyway. But you warn us over and over. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't start creating idols and worshiping them because it'll take you to a place that you don't want to go. Oh God, today, help us examine our hearts. Every one of us, I pray, Lord, would stop now. Examine our life. It's not an easy word, Lord. It's not a little simple, I'm good, you're good, we're all okay kind of message. It's the kind of message, God, that gets our heart ready for eternity. It's the kind of word that gets us ready to live this life with purpose, true value. It's the kind of word that helps us to gauge our success the way you do in terms of lives changed, souls won, and ministry done for you. Forgive me, God, personally, for things that I have put ahead of you. I didn't ever mean to put anything ahead of you, God. I, I love you more than life itself. I want you and I love your presence more than anybody else's. But Lord, I struggle just like anyone else. With places, with things. That if I'm not careful, would become more important. Things that I would give anything for and not expect anything in return. Things that I would make more important than anything else. Things that I would make idols. Examine my heart right now, Lord. Examine my heart right now. Pinpoint those places. Begin to open up the closets of my soul. Deepest, darkest, 
hidden closets of my soul, open them up and begin to shine light into those places and drive out the cobwebs and the dust and shine the light into those places upon things that need to be confessed and driven away. I surrender to you, Jesus. All over this world, however you would pray that prayer, on your feet or on your knees or sitting as you sit around an altar or standing, hands in the air or in your lap, I don't care. However is the most natural way for you to connect with God and to tell Him what you want to tell Him and do it right now. This is a house of prayer. It just became a house of prayer. and There's freedom here. There's liberty here for you to go to God. You come around these altars where you pray right there where you're at. I don't care. Whatever it takes for the next few minutes, we're going to sit here in His presence and we're going to listen to His Spirit as He convicts us. And we're going to crush and defeat and destroy and burn all of our idols. We're going to walk out of here with Him, our Lord, our Savior, and none of Will you join me in that now? Come and find yourself a place. Let's pray for a few minutes.